Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air via social distancing. I'm Kyan Isaacson. This week, it's 321 Go with Cosmo Macero. Then we bring you a clip from our analysis conversation with David Peleologos, director of Suffolk University's Political Research Center and local national pollster, who gave us his final insights before election day on a webinar with Tom O'Neill this week. And in two minutes with Tom, we're talking elections. Hello and welcome to another edition of 321 Go on OA On Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, culture, business, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. Joining me here on 321 Go, as always, is Kyan Isaacson. Hello. The official voice of OA On Air. Hey, Kyan. How are you? I'm doing okay. Here we are on the eve of the eve of the eve of the election, or something like that. <laughs> Something like that. First, <laughs> first, we have to get through Halloween. Perhaps a little snow squall up in Boston. Good luck to all of you. Um, but we're getting close. Um, we are getting close. It's kind of weird. I mean, all of this anticipation, and and, and here we are, right on the uh, right on the brink. All right, uh, we'll get into some of that a little bit later, and uh, and I know that there'll be other uh, segments of our fine program uh, dedicated to it. Let's talk about coffee. Um, I'm not a huge coffee drinker, but I like a really good quality. Strong. You're like a, kind of espresso kind of a guy. Yeah, I'm an espresso guy. Uh, absolutely. It might be because I'm Italian. Uh, I, I will have coffee at, at any time of the day. I'll tell you that. It could be in the morning or after. I'm not afraid to have a jolt of espresso, uh, you know, late at night. I'm not afraid. I'll do it. But coffee the large regular it, it, the whole the whole culture of your daily cup of coffee and and then your next one and your next one uh it's big business and uh there is an analysis of the coffee wars particularly the Boston metro area um that shows the growth and then the uh retraction probably because of covid-19 depending on the brand and then the adjustment in coffee sales among the big brands, right? Dunkin', McDonald's, Starbucks, and then way down, uh, way down uh, at the bottom, Pete's and something I never heard of. So, what can you tell me? Because I think these results or the tracking is kind of surprising. Uh, so Dunkin' is on top in the Boston metro area for coffee sales um, and has pretty much stayed there. McDonald's and Starbucks, if you look at this, uh, so the Boston Globe has this sort of time-lapse graph uh, where you can watch the ebb and flow. McDonald's and Starbucks have traded for second and third place. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with the pandemic, uh, looking at this graph in Mar- as of March 1st to about May, June, July, Starbucks drops off significantly. My guess is number one, Starbucks is more expensive. Uh, Number two, a lot less people going to work, going to the city, going either in the the morning on their way to Starbucks or midday for their, you know, walk or afternoon coffee jolt. Um, You know, Dunkin's and McDonald's are certainly more cost effective. I am a Starbucks girl. I always have been. My first coffee was a decaf cafe mocha from Starbucks when I was a kid with my dad. Um, I've never. Wait, how, how old were you? I was probably like eight or nine. Is that um, why it was decaf? Yes. 
Got it. Uh, no need for no need for caffeine at that age. But I just so I partially grew up in California. Starbucks is much bigger than Dunkin' Donuts here. Um, so that's sort of where I was established in Starbucks versus versus Dunkin' Donuts. I didn't have my first Dunkin' Donuts coffee until late in high school, and I remember just being like, "This tastes like water." Um, sorry to all the Dunkin' drinkers out there. I don't think McDonald's has a bad cup of coffee. It's uh, it's pretty good. It's a Newman's. It's good iced yeah, coffee. Don't. They don't. It, it, it's 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 reliable, right? It's it's. I mean, the biggest news they made with coffee was the was the woman who sued them because of the or the customer. I thought it was a woman. Maybe it wasn't. I'm sorry. The customer that sued them because the coffee was too hot and she spilled it. They spilled it. But I think you're right about that. It's reliable. Like like a lot of things in McDonald's, right? I mean, it's just kind of reliable. It's there for you if you need it and you're good to go. If you watch the time-lapse graph, um, and this is a, just a layman's conclusion, but it seems reasonable. Duncan stays steady. Starbucks has a huge, a huge decline, mm-hmm. but it looks like those Starbucks drinkers all are all going to McDonald's because they're like, I'm not buying, I'm not drinking that Dunkin' Donuts stuff, because because McDonald's grows during the pandemic, Starbucks declines, and, and Dunkin' stays the same. Yeah, I'm guessing maybe a McDonald's or just, I mean, for me at at home, um, I used to go to Starbucks not every morning. Uh, on the way to work, but probably a couple days a week here and there, sometimes more, sometimes less, um, as did many people in our office. Some of us used to literally meet at Starbucks, pick up our drinks, and finish our walk to the office together. Um, that didn't happen. I've just been at home. Some days I'll be like, oh, I could really go for Starbucks if I happen to be out. But for the most part, if I'm going from waking up to starting to work from, you know, from my house, I'm not making the trip to go get coffee anywhere. Right? Yeah. I, I think that's like a lot, like a lot of things, uh, like you know, food items. Uh, co- coffee is obviously a, a big. Uh, personal preference is critical there, um, and then sort of force a habit. And I think some parochialism. I think Duncan is. Surprised to see Blue Bottle is on there only because it's not one I would have thought of. Uh, pizza's on there at a very low, uh, I think, 1%. Um, but pizza is also a good cup of coffee. Highly recommend it. I don't see Green Mountain is not. I guess Green Mountain didn't make the list. But that's like a, you can't go get, you don't go to like a Green Mountain coffee shop. No, you're right. I think you can get you can get it in certain convenience stores, so I guess that doesn't count. Um, anyway, it's 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 pretty interesting, and um, and it, it makes sense that the luxury brand would decline during a pandemic, where uh, people were thrown out of work and cutting budgets and things like that. Um, but uh, this is a Duncan region. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no surprise there. By the way, it's, I seem to have just jumped right into their rebranding. I just call it Dunkin' now. You know, I, 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 I find myself not saying donuts, just Dunkin'. They want it, it's the way they want it. Kudos to their marketing team. Yeah, I guess so. All right, Cayenne, here's our coffee talk. <laughs> coffee talk. Coffee talk. All right, Kai, let's talk briefly about the stock market. You know, uh, yesterday and uh, this morning as we sit here, 
uh, uh, preparing to record, I thought for sure we had witnessed a, 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 a milestone event, a, a massive drop off in the stock market. The S&P ended Wednesday, October 28th. Um, I thought it was the October surprise, three and a half percent lower. Um, it was the third straight decline and the worst drop since June 11th. Um, it, it wiped out the entire month of month of gains. There was a lot of concern about new lockdown, uh, COVID-19 lockdown measures in Europe and, uh, and rising uh, uh, infection rates here in the U.S. And there it was. And then, boom, comes the next morning, a GDP report comes out. Massive uh, increase in gross domestic product, over 30%. And uh, and everything's hunky dory again. So, how do you measure just in you know in in, in every in an everyday way? Um, how do you measure your feelings about uh, the strength of the economy and your own economic stability? We work with a with a, a consumer credit agency. They put out a financial health index, and we we track that. And people are you know concerned about their debt right now. So they're throwing all kinds of whatever extra money they have at their debt. How do you measure your own financial stability when on any given day, there could be a tanking of the stock market, which the president is very focused on. And then the next day, those um, uh, those losses are, uh, are made back. Um, I am not a stock market aficionado by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I probably do the thing that everybody would say is the wrong thing to do. And I just kind of keep my head down and trust the people that are managing <laughs> my money, that <laughs> um, they know what they're doing. Uh, you know, it's just not, I don't feel like I know better than anyone else. I also have the benefit um, you know, when I talk to other members of my family, I have the benefit of being on the, the younger side. I mean, not as young as I once was, but I, I will balance out in the long run is the expectation. But look, we know that generally what the stock market does not like is uncertainty. Um, and right now we are in a state of uncertainty, probably unlike any other uh, in a long time. Not only to your point, do we have COVID infection rates rising all throughout the world, as well as here at home in the United States, uh, lockdowns in other countries indicate that we could possibly be looking at something similar again here in the United States. Put that together with the fact that we have a presidential election currently underway. Uh, you know, people have been voting for weeks. Election day is on Tuesday. And uh, the the fate of the country is very much in the balance in terms of who's going to win and the direction our country is going to take. Um, you know, scary times when you think about it from that regard. And that's how the stock market looks at it. So my guess is we're going to continue to see that up and down uh, for for a little while. Number one, because of COVID, but also because there's no guarantee that we know who the next president is on November 3rd or even November 4th. Yeah, uh, th those are good observations. I actually think your approach to investing is is, is appropriate. And if you're you're long you know long horizon as you do, then, and if you got your money in your four hundred one k and you've got a you know competent enough uh, um, uh, managers, uh, then uh, you, you should be just fine over the long term. Look, we the 
the stimulus package, the CARES Act, which has now expired, was a, a massive mobilization of, of uh, relief. At the same time, the Federal Reserve uh, did a tremendous amount of what's called quantitative easing, and they kept interest rates low, which kept also kept economic, economic activity going. So the response initially back in, um, you know, the first 90 days of the, uh, or the first 60 days of the, of, of the pandemic uh, descending on the U.S. was, uh, was, was historic and, and, and massive. Well, it, it, it appears to be time to re-up at least some of that, certainly on the relief. And, um, and we know where that is. It's stuck. It's stuck. It's not happening. And I think as long as there is not a clear picture on what the next set of relief measures will be, because they're needed, they are absolutely needed, uh, we're going to experience these volatile swings. Other factors are going to drive the market. But fear of the pending. Um, And a large determination of what happens with the HEROES Act is going to be dependent not only on who the next president is, but what happens um, down the ticket. So, you know, there's, a, again, going back, that uncertainty is, is huge. And the, I think the future of the HEROES Act is probably a big part of that, too. Agreed. All right, Cayenne. That's cool. All right, finally, Kanye, let's talk about 60 Minutes. President Trump, this past Sunday, uh, his um, widely anticipated uh, partial appearance on 60 Minutes with Leslie Stahl uh, aired. uh, Not a big surprise because um, the president's uh, uh, PR people and himself had preempted it by uh, trying trying to spin where the thing went as he cut the interview short. Um, but ultimately it still had the same impact. Um, he, he, he became agitated. He, he didn't like the questions. He thought Leslie Stahl was treating him unfairly. He talked about how she treats other people differently and, um, and ultimately gets up, takes the mic off, you know, all on camera, walks out. His press secretary comes in with his press secretary comes in with some encyclopedia that she says is a health plan, uh, real theater. And, and I only had one thought, and that was, has the president not watched 60 Minutes over the past 40 years? Has, has, do, his, do his PR people not understand what happened? I, I, look, I don't know about you, Kaya. I've been watching 60 Minutes since I was a kid. Mike Wallace and Morley Safer and Steve Croft. I don't know how many CEOs, I don't know how many you know shady characters you know, sat in front of Mike Wallace or, or, or Morley Safer or Steve Croft or Leslie Stahl. And, and got up, pulled off the mic, and stormed out. It, 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 it's the thing you don't do. It's the thing you're not supposed to do. And uh, and boy, he did it in spectacular fashion. And um, I just don't, you know, at this point, I don't think anything hurts him with his base. Um, but it it certainly didn't uh, help him with anyone else. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's so many aspects of this to pick apart. I mean, the fact that he started it off by being like, you know, be fair, be fair, like, you know, ask me fair questions. You don't ask Biden these kinds of questions. And he just sounded very whiny, quite honestly. Um, Look, you are the president of the United States. 
And with that comes a level of accountability or should come with a level of accountability, unlike any other person, even the person running for your job. At the end of the day, the buck stops with you. And if you are not prepared to answer questions like that, number one, don't get interviewed, but also don't take the job. It is an incredibly difficult job that comes with an immense amount of scrutiny and it should as the leader of our country in the free world. And the idea that you don't think you should be asked tough questions is beyond my comprehension. And by the way, they weren't, they weren't really tough questions. In fact, they weren't it, even hard questions. It was, it was, it was kind of a game of patty cake, typical, you know, I mean, if you're even modestly prepared as a public official and you don't lose your cool, you can handle pretty much anything. And, and you know what? Um, uh, former uh, President Obama, he, 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 you know, stepping a little bit out of character, really made fun of uh, of, of uh, Donald Trump. And, he, and if you, I tell you, if, man, if you're walking out on 60 Minutes and Leslie Stahl, I, they're not so tough. They're, they're not tough. And, and, and he was right. 60 minutes can be tough. But in the situation like that, all they're doing is going to ask you stuff that's challenging, that if you're prepared in your own way, you should be able to knock it out of the park, pivot from one thing to the next, change the subject skillfully, do all the things that people like us, you know, try to coach uh, clients on. And instead, he act, he acted like a baby, and 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 he you know he gave the world and boy, how many how many people did they fit into that into that hotel suite to record that thing? There must have been thirty people in that room. Yeah, it was a crowded room. But it 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 goes back to the idea because you make a good point. The questions were not very difficult. They weren't tough. They weren't questions that should have been unexpected. Uh, they weren't curveballs. They didn't come out of nowhere. They were all on point, all on topic. But what it just sort of underscores is that any questions that ask him to be accountable for anything negative, bad, or even just factual, he determines to be difficult questions framed to make him look bad. Look, the facts make you look bad, not the questions. That's it. Indeed. Indeed. So that's it. That's my little rant on the 60 minutes. I, I thought he could, you know, you know, another opportunity, by the way, maybe his last one, a media opportunity where he could have come out of that, you know, much different, could have come out of it really well, could have won some people over in some way and, 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 and been personable and, and, and honest and transparent. Just don't be defensive and, and, and you win and you sort of, Kind of like that second debate, right? Just don't melt down and you've exceeded expectations. Well, <laughs> you, you can pull it off and, and there you have it. There we are. And that's it. And, and, and the next time we talk. We will know. We'll know. We will know what happens on election night. We might not know who will, who's going to be president for the next four years. But. That's true. If you haven't already, people, get out and vote. Indeed. All right, Cayenne, thanks a lot. That's going to do it for another edition of 321Go. Our program is recorded remotely from various locations in the Commonwealth and around the U.S. Our producer, Catherine O'Brien, thanks very much. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Macero.
virtual speaker series again with our great pal, David Paleologos. Uh, David, I think this is the fifth time you and I have had an opportunity to talk in various political cycles, election year cycles, and it's great to have you back. Before we get to the introduction of, of David, who I think probably needs no introduction because most of you on, you know, on the program today have a sense of him. I, I will tell you that this is um, for 10 years running a, a, a speaker series, which is co-sponsored by the Boston Harbor Hotel and O'Neill and Associates. And this year, we're joined by Seven Letter, a robust national public relations and social uh, social uh, public relations firm. Um, it, I'm proud to have them on board and joining us for the first time. So it's it's great to have them. All the folks from Seven Letter. Um, we we are missing David. Uh, we, we're we're missing Stephen Johnson, who was a sponsor uh, spokesperson. He's the general manager of the Boston Harbor Hotel. So I want to tip my hat to him and, and to the hotel management team and simply say you're, you've been there for 10 years with us and we really deeply appreciate it. You know, we're five days away from the election, 120 odd hours away from an election, probably 130 hours away from knowing who the next president of the United States is going to be. Uh, David uh, Paleologos is, is somebody who, as I had said earlier, We've, we've had opportunities to talk to in, in various political electoral, electoral cycles. Um, I, I'm dying to hear your final insights. I know you've just come in from a national, uh, a national poll being conducted by, your, by you and your firm, but I also want to talk about the fact that you're the director of the Suffolk University Political Research Center. And um, you have done over the years, uh, put together the bellwether model uh, at Suffolk, which is designed to predict outcomes, um, and, and not just the simple majorities or, or margins of victories that people are going to have come Tuesday or any election day. I, I'd love for you to get into that. But before you do, I, I want to tell the audience again that Nate Silver, who was perhaps the, the best known pollster outside of, of David in this country, does a ranking of all pollsters in the country, and he holds David and his firm in the top one percentile for accuracy and for and for being correct. Um, David, it's great to call you a friend and it's wonderful to have you back. What are your insights? What are your thoughts about this coming election on Tuesday? Well, thank you. It's great to be back and, and kudos to you, uh, Tom, and the Boston Harbor Hotel and, uh, and Seven Letter. That's a, that's a terrific addition to your speaker series. So congratulations with that. My insights are um, twofold. Number one, most of the questions I get asked at this point are questions like how reliable are the polls? And then two, we get into the polls. So I'll start in reverse order and tell you a little bit about the poll we released this morning. We did a four-way ballot test nationally with USA Today. The ballot test showed a seven-point lead, 50 to 43. It was actually 49.5, but we reported it as a 50 to 43 lead. And when pressed, the, uh, when the undecideds and third parties were pressed to pick one of two, the lead expanded from 50-43 to 52-44, an eight-point lead. This is unprecedented at this time. As you recall, in 2016, Hillary Clinton was only leading by three points in the national polls. And the national polls weren't wrong. She won by two in the popular vote. So our poll pretty much reflects more or less the aggregate average of national polls 
to this date, again, Pulse being a snapshot in time, showing Joe Biden comfortably ahead. And so when you, in your poll, we, we talked earlier, in your poll, you, you show a very different candidate in Joe Biden than we had in, in 2016. You, you see a virus, COVID-19, which was not here in 2016. And you, you mentioned something that was somewhat frightening to me that, that I, I wish you'd kind of expand on. And that's the fear of violence that people have that you measured in the poll. Yeah, so I wrote a column today and you can check it out on USA Today Online. Um, and I did mention the poll numbers between Trump and Biden, but I spoke about the one statistic that everyone agrees on, which is that three out of four likely national voters, three out of four are saying they are very or somewhat concerned about violence on election day or thereafter. Think about that. Three out of four, that's Democrats and Republicans. It's whites and non-whites. It's old and young. And I, I concluded in my column that how ironic that the one statistic that merges the differing realities between the CNN, Joe Biden, COVID-19 reality, and the Donald Trump, Fox News, uh, I'm personally better off reality, is this common statistic of fear. And if the race is close, and the, there are some indications that it, it, there are some states where it's getting closer, you could have the race end up with litigators and lawyers and in the courts, and that would have a profound impact on the stock market and those people who look at the investment community with a keen eye. So let's talk about that. Uh, when do you think this race gets called? Is it Tuesday? A week from Tuesday? A month from Tuesday? <clears throat> Ironically, I think Tuesday night is the, will be the best and final night that Donald Trump will be, uh, will be looking at. Uh, he, he may go to bed Tuesday night ahead, Donald Trump. Um, and his supporters are going to go to bed Tuesday night ahead because Michigan and a lot of the battleground states do not count mail-in ballots prior to election day. So the only people, the first counts that we get from several states are going to be people who vote in person. And we know from the polling, the people who vote from in person are center right. So it's going to give us a different picture if it's close. And then people are going to wake up the next day or the following day and the mail-in ballots are going to be counted. And then those states are going to flip to Joe Biden. And that potentially is the seeds for chaos and violence. Now, if Joe Biden wins in a landslide, and our national poll tends to, tends to be signaling that, it'll be a moot point. Biden will win Florida. He, he may even win states like Georgia, uh, maybe even Ohio or Iowa. Um, and it looks at this point like the former blue all states are, are all lining up for Biden one way or the other. So, so the audience understands what we're talking about. You have often talked about the blue wall. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan. Talk a little bit about that and what you see there, because those are states where Trump did very well four years ago. Yeah, I mean, he did well enough to win. He, he, he outperformed the polls. The polls were a lot closer. And one of the, one of the factors of 2016 polling-wise that a lot of people aren't aware of is that a lot of the top public pollsters did not poll the blue wall states. We didn't, Quinnipiac didn't, Marist didn't. 
So if you are Nate Silver or Larry Sabato or, or Charlie Cook, and you were promising all year you were going to forecast the Electoral College, you had very limited information in those blue wall states. And so uh, it's, the, it's no knock on any individual pollster, but the caliber of the work and the research wasn't to the level of the major institutional public pollsters. And therein uh, lied the, the problem. The polls were wrong in the blue, uh, the, those uh, blue wall states. And the result was Trump won them all and he went on to win fairly comfortably. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I, we have a lot of people who have asked questions and I'm picking it up on chat. If you have a question, I should have said this earlier. If you have a question, go to Q&A at the bottom of your screen and ask a question or go to chat and ask a question. David, you said something very interesting. You, you, you assumed, at least I heard this as you were talking, that, that, he, that Biden is going to win Florida. Florida is an early count state. We're going to know what happens in Florida pretty early. Yeah. The, today, um, today, several polls came out showing Biden slightly ahead. Um, that breaks the trend that we saw last week. Last week, we saw Trump by one or even. Trump by one, even, uh, you know, when we polled it a few weeks ago, it was even. Um, and I believe it's obviously going to be close. It could be a late night in Florida. Um, but those polls, you know, showing a two-point lead, a three-point, I don't think there'll be a three-point lead, but unless there's a wave uh, election, are showing that this is a real possibility, um, more real than Texas. I mean, Biden has a shot to win Texas too, but Texas is Texas. And, and this is a, Florida is a, is a close race. So, you know, I think in a race this close, and I talked about this a month ago, Gloria Lariva is a candidate for president on the Florida ballot. Now people might say, who is Gloria Lariva? Well, Florida has seven candidates for president, seven not two, not four. And one of those candidates in Suffolk University, I think was the only, if, if not one of the few, who actually listed all of the candidates on the Florida ballot. Took us, cost us more money, took us more time. But there was a candidate, Gloria LaRiva, who got 1% of the vote. Now you may say, well, who is she? She has a, a, an Hispanic name. And under her name on the Florida ballot, it says Socialism and Liberation Party. Socialism and Liberation Party. I went into the crosstabs and I saw that 3% of young voters and 2% of Hispanic voters were voting for her. Now those voters come right off of Biden. Um, so that even a, a pollster who released a poll today or yesterday who might have Biden slightly ahead, if they don't poll all the candidates that are certified on a state ballot, it has an impact. And, you know, it could go to Biden, but then again, with the nature of the ballot and what's going on in Florida, it may not. Let's talk about the youth vote. Youth are voting in greater numbers than they have historically. To hear the rest of David's analysis, visit the newsroom on our website at O'Neillandassos.com or on our YouTube page. Four days before the election, um, and, you know, all the pundits are around and everybody's giving kind of a, a slightly, but at the bottom line, same view as to what they think the outcome is going to be. And they think the outcome is going to be in a collective fashion. And I'm talking about real, uh, real true politics. 
uh, Nate Silva's operation, which is as good as it gets, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, they see they see an eight point uh, between a seven and eight point uh, sprint from now to Tuesday that that Joe Biden will win by that type of margin. Now, the where that happens and the how that happens are two completely different things, as we saw in 2016. So the blue wall is something we have to concentrate on. States that Trump won uh, in 2016, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, which he never should have won, and he won by less than 1% of the vote. Those states are showing margins of victory for Joe Biden of 7, 8, and 10%, respectively. Um, If he wins those three, he hasn't won the entire election, but he's on a pretty good route to, to to beat the president. So the outstanding states we have to look at and the early counting states, uh, Florida, Georgia, um, I, I think you're going to tell a tale. Uh, I, I really do believe that it's a toss-up in Florida. I think it's a toss-up in North Carolina. I, I don't know how we can win Georgia, although we might win a Senate seat down there of the two. Um, but, you know, um, I really see, I see us picking up between four and five seats in the U.S. Senate which will give us a, 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 an, an even score of 50-50 or 51-49. Some people have it as high as 54-46. I, I, I really don't see that happening. Um, I, I, do think, I do think that that Joe Biden wins, and I think he wins with over close to or over 300 electoral votes. Um, and um, I, 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 really, I really hope that that is the case. But my concern goes to something that all the polls have picked up, and that's the fear of violence that people across this country have in every poll that's been taken. 70% of Republicans, Democrats, and independents are concerned about not only election day, but thereafter, especially if it's a closely called race, where on Tuesday, the, the votes getting counted are Trump votes because Republicans will go to the polls on election day, as opposed to Democrats overwhelmingly voting early on uh, through the mail, which will mean that we may not know who the president is until two or three days after the fact. And um, and I, I really do believe that if it's if it's a blowout, it'll be Joe it'll be Joe Biden's. If it's a, if it's a very close race, it could go either way. But I'm thinking that we'll know on Tuesday night who the next president is going to be, and we'll have a very good idea as to what the Senate is going to look like outside of Georgia. Um, so, you know, that's, that's my projection, and uh, I'd like to hear what you think. I, 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 I still feel like a lot of anxiety leading up. I just think to, you know, four years ago, how confident everyone was that there was just no way Donald Trump was going to win, and, you know, he, he did. Um, I, I worry that election day turnout, um, you know, to your point, Republicans will probably turn out more on that day than, than Democrats does early voting, uh, mm-hmm. which has, you know, bodes well for Democrats. Embolden um, more people to get out and vote on Tuesday. And I hate to say that because I fully support more people getting out to vote across the board. Um, I hope that the increase in voter turnout is something that's been happening this year is something that continues, that stays and continues to grow. Um, But yeah, I still feel, I feel like it's, it's just, it's too tough. Um, You know, there are a lot of voters who there is the whole, you know, kind of Trump shame. Um, 
aspect that aren't willing to say that they're going to vote for him, but will. I think we saw that four years ago. I think there's still a lot of that, maybe more so now. Um, and we saw, you know, we can't forget that we saw violence in the days after, um, not the election day, but inauguration day yep. um, after Trump. And, you know, it, it certainly worries me that that's a path our democracy is, is going down. That never used to be the case. We weren't. We were never worried as a country about violence um, on either side, because of who the presidential candidate, you know, or presidential elect, a president elect was going to be. Um, it's you know that's that's scary and and uh, certainly not a trend that we want to see continue. I think that um, four years ago Hillary was two points ahead this point in the election ahead of Donald Trump. Joe Biden is seven to eight points ahead. Hillary was less liked than Joe Biden is. The money's coming in the door for the Democratic Party, not only the presidency, uh, three times the amount that have ever been historically given to Democrats or Republicans for that matter. It, uh, those three things indicate to me that it's gonna be a very good night for Joe Biden. It's gonna be a very good night for the US Senate for the Democrats. Anyway, but I am, I have very much my whole life and I don't like to count my chickens before they hatch. Kind of okay. All right. There you go. <laughs> but I promise you one thing that will be a better day. I like it. I like um, it. This time next week, we will most likely know who the next president of the United States is. And I'm excited. I have my fingers crossed. I have my fingers crossed. Okay. Um, and we'll talk about it then. Yes. Happy oh. Halloween. Happy election day. <laughs> Don't get close. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. That's it for this week's episode of OA On Air via social distancing. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you next week.